Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and apply them to our lives better, and we certainly need that. I'm your host, Carrie Mulstein, and I'm excited today to do this short cast where we're going to look at one specific element of the book of Jeremiah that we get in about three chapters uh, towards the, the last like third, middle to last third of the book of Jeremiah. So we're just going to go through these chapters together and not the whole chapter, it's just some key elements in them. We're going to go to chapter 30. So keep in mind, this is uh, after Jeremiah has uh, done a lot of prophesying that uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and they're going to go captive into Babylon. And these are some of the chapters where, like Isaiah, who, when he talks about scattering and destruction, likes to hold out hope for what the Lord will do for them after that. And so we're going to go to chapter 30. And we're going to start um, in verse uh, 15. Well, even 14. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. So he's comparing Judah and the covenant people to uh, and their covenant with him to the marriage covenant. And he does that often. And so he's here going to say, you've you've not been faithful. You've been uh, playing the harlot with other people, with other lovers. Uh, as because they've been idolatrous and so on. Now, everything we're going to talk about, I want you to think in a couple of ways. We need to think about Judah and ancient Judah and ancient Israel and how this would apply to them. We want to think about how this covenant applies to modern Israel as God is gathering Israel in, and you as an Israelite covenant individual. All right. So think of yourself in all of those ways or think of these in all those ways. So in some ways, when he says, thy lovers have forgotten thee, they seek thee not. He's talking about ancient Judah. But he's also talking about you when you sometimes are, well, we all are idolatrous in one way or another. And we think that these things are going to bring us the payments that we want, but they won't. Right? As President Nelson recently said, you can pursue these things, but they won't actually bring you happiness and joy and contentment and rest. And there's nothing as exhausting as trying to get those things from something that can't deliver it. So that's like having your lovers forgetting you. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. So God is humbling them or us in order to get us to return to him. Why criest thou in thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. So let's put it this way. Our sorrows are incurable as long as we keep going to the same sources to find the cure. If what you're searching for is happiness or peace or contentment or whatever, the, the, the payoff that you think is going to come from the prestige of the world or the acceptance of the world or the power or the wealth of the world, if, if that's how you're trying to meet your needs, you will find that your needs cannot be met. It's incurable as long as you're going to the wrong source. But God is, because it is God that is bringing about this affliction, it is also God who will save us from the places we've gotten ourselves, uh, uh, the mess we've gotten ourselves into. Verse 16, therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. So, yes, he's bringing about the captivity of Judah to humble them, to get them to return to him. And by the way, this is successful. Uh, as Judah goes into Babylon, they really do seem to rid themselves of that form of idolatry once and for all. They are done with it after this. This was so humbling for them that they say, okay, that we are done with. Now, there are other forms of idolatry that they and we will continue to struggle with, but it's successful in that way. 
And as a result, God is the one who brought about the captivity. He'll, he's the one that will end it. So they that devoured thee shall be devoured. All thine adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. And they that spoiled thee shall be spoiled or be a spoil. And they that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. This literally happens as Babylon is conquered by Persia. Uh, but, of course, there are fulfillments in our lives. Now listen to verse 17. For I will restore help unto thee. So it was incurable when we were trying to do this ourselves. But when God is with us, I will restore help unto thee. And I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents. Now, we need to discuss that phrase. It's in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it's in a number of places where King James translators uh, say that he will bring again the captivity of Israel or of Jacob or of Judah or something along those lines. That's not the best translation. The, the Hebrew word there is shuv, and it, uh, it means to return or to turn back uh, or to, to turn aside. Uh, or I would say you could even say like unwind or rewind. And I would put it this way. He, he will turn back or turn away or unwind the captivity of Jacob. Uh, that's what he's saying, and that's what it means. All these times you see, it, I will bring again the captivity. If you look at the context, it's clear every time. He's ending the captivity. So that's what he's saying. It's, he's he's going to remove it. He's going to turn it away. He's going to unwind it. Um, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be built upon her own heap. So the place where it's been destroyed will be built up again, and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. This will literally happen in Jerusalem, but of course that's symbolic for uh, the re restoration of the covenant, the gathering of Israel, and what can happen in your own life. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. And note the Abrahamic covenant promise there. And I will glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. All of this is covenant imagery, right? Protection, prosperity, posterity. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governors shall proceed from the midst of them. That's that promise of, of leadership that's part of the covenant, that you will have your own righteous leaders rather than being uh, uh, oppressed by foreign and mean and wicked rulers. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this that engaged his heart to approach me, unto me, saith the Lord? So these, these leaders and Israel in general. Now listen, verse 22. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. That is a clear statement that the covenant is established again. The, the relationship with God is established again that comes about because of that covenant. It's a beautiful promise of what will happen for Israel or Judah in the future. And of course, for us, as we have our our uh, promises, our covenants renewed whenever we stray and then are willing to come back. So let's continue in chapter 31, verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God, and that's that Abrahamic uh, language again, right? Ab Abrahamic covenant language. I will be your God. But he says, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This isn't just about Judah. This isn't just about them going away into Babylon and coming back. It's very clear. This is the gathering of all Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword, so the, the ones who survived the destructions, found grace in the wilderness. As they're being humbled, they find grace. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, with chesed, right, uh, with this uh, covenant loyal 
mercy and love have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Then shalt thou be adorned with thy tabrets, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Then shall ye, uh, thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant, and shall eat them as common things, and so on. So uh, this is all Abrahamic covenant imagery. He's going to really start to bless us with the blessings of the covenant. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith, and that's Abrahamic covenant imagery, for thus saith, or phraseology, for thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy name or thy people, the remnant of Israel. So this is the, the prayer that God will honor his covenant, and he says he will. And he goes on to say, I'll bring them from the north and the coast of the east, uh, or the earth, the blind and the lame and the woman and uh, who's travailing, and they'll come with weeping and supplications. Uh, let's look at, uh, yeah, verse nine, they shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water. So there's going to be water for them in a straight way. So there it's the path is prepared for them. Maybe even a covenant path wherein they shall not stumble for I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Note what he's saying. So this is focusing clearly, not just on Judah, but on those Northern tribes led by Ephraim. And I love that language. He's a father, and he's going to take care. Ephraim is going to lead out, emphasizing that Ephraim is the firstborn, is emphasizing Ephraim's role in gathering everyone else in, performing that obligation or that service. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off. Now, if we're going to just think of the gathering of Israel that President Nelson has talked to us about again and again and again, and how everything you do that helps anyone on either side of the veil Coming to God through covenants, you're gathering Israel. This is what he's talking about. Declare it in the isles afar off and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him, Jacob, from the hand of him that was stronger than he. So, yes, Jacob has been oppressed by uh, Babylon and by other countries at other times of the, the world, and covenant individuals are oppressed by depression and satan and hell and death and everything else those are all stronger than us but god will ransom us from that which is stronger than us therefore they shall come and sing in the height of zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the lord for wheat and for wine and for oil on the young of flock and the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow anymore at all all of these blessings of the covenant the virgin will rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together and so on uh listen to this uh well, let's we're going to we're going to skip down to verse 18. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised. So note the humility here. You 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 chastised me and I received it is basically what he's saying as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. So what he's saying is he Ephraim was like a young bullock that didn't yet. It wasn't yet how uh, broken, we could put it that way. Wasn't used to the saddle, wasn't used to a yoke on it. And so it bucked and, and tried to get away. But now he's learned and he's ready to serve under this yoke. That should be a great description of all of Israel. And it should be a great description of each one of us. 
turn me, uh, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. So great. This this imagery is fantastic. The yoke's on you, and you're ready to go. You, you've you've humbled yourself enough. Now you're not trying to go your own way and do your own thing. That's what a young bullock does. He wants to take up and do his thing. He doesn't want to submit to his master. But a trained bullock, one that's older and mature, knows I'll just do what my master asks. So you turn me, and I'll turn. And then that covenant phrase, "Thou art my God," right? Uh, surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him, and I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Isn't this beautiful imagery of God saying, yes, we've had problems, but you, the, the attitude you're coming uh, with to me now. I'm going to accept that, my dear son, my pleasant child. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps, set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. So he's going to set waymarks so they know the way. And in, in some ways, this has to be the covenant path. It's all sorts of things, but I think the primary thing is the covenant path. And there are, there are markers. We know what that path is and how to do it. I've got a, a booklet that should come out in January, I think. That, that we'll talk about this and how to recognize these markers and so on. But we, we know how to tell if we're on the covenant path. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall come as a man, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. As yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and the cities thereof, when I shall bring again, meaning return or get rid of their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. That's what they're going to say when this ends. That's going to be their, their greeting. The Lord bless thee. Um, let's go to, uh, just for the sake of time, we're going to skip down to, um, behold, the days come in verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So let's stop and talk about this. He's going to make their new covenant. These verses that we're reading right here in Jeremiah 31 are incredibly significant. It, it's this that the Savior is having reference to when he administers the sacrament. He says, this is my new covenant. Uh, that's why the, the New Testament is called the New Testament. Really, it's the, a better translation is New Covenant. It's a bad translation, New Testament, New Covenant. It's all this idea that he's going to, and it's not like completely new, like, oh, the old one was bad. It's it's the same covenant, tailored differently, some different aspects to it, just like it's a little different for us than it is for the, the uh, in the days of Moses. We have different dietary restrictions, whatever else, but a same a, essentially the same covenant. We'll look at what's different about it, but this is, and an important set of verses that will be referred to again and again in the New Testament and will shape how they think of the covenant and should shape to some degree how we think of the covenant. But note how he's saying it's going to be different than the law of Moses and what's going on in Egypt. Many people uh, think of Jeremiah as the new Moses. Uh, he, the, his ministry is framed as lasting for 40 years. It's actually longer than 40 years. You can tell that the whoever put the book together seems to be doing this 40 years intentionally to remind us of Moses's 40 year ministry with Israel. Um, and note how Moses brings them out of Egypt, and uh, Jeremiah is actually going to go from Jerusalem or in the Promised Land to Egypt, right? This is kind of an undoing, not that Egypt is the Promised Land, but it, it, it's intentionally framed to kind of help us see that uh, there's something going on between Jeremiah and Moses and this new covenant. 
verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Here's the, the real difference. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. The difference is when the covenant is restored again, that's our day. That's when it's restored. That's when it's reestablished, renewed, the new and everlasting or Abrahamic covenant renewed with us as President Nelson so wants us to understand. This time, instead of it being such a focus on the outward ordinances, which it was always supposed to point them towards it happening in their heart, we need to do that. And I think we've had even changing from home teaching to ministering, tithing settlement to tithing declaration, a thousand other little things we've done are to help us remember this needs to be in our heart. It's not about the emotions. It's about putting the law or the covenant in our hearts. And then God is our God and we are his people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So you don't have to go around and tell people about Jehovah. Everyone will know him. From the least unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is beautiful stuff. It's so beautiful. Uh, there's lots more that we could go through, but I, I don't want to spend uh, all your day on this. We're going to summarize part of chapter 32 and then just hit on an important part. So in chapter 32, uh, we're well into Zedekiah's reign now. Uh, this is long after Lehi has left, uh, and uh, Jeremiah is prophesying that uh, Babylon's going to destroy them, and this makes the army and other people unhappy, uh, or I mean, makes them afraid, and that makes the leaders unhappy. So they they put Jeremiah in prison, um, and uh, he still continues to prophesy and telling Zedekiah, "Yep, you're going to go into Babylon as a captive, and that's that's too bad for you, but that's how it's going to be." Uh, and and his scribe Baruch is writing things for them and getting them out there. Um, let's go to verse eighteen. This is uh, this is Jeremiah kind of praying. Um, verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. So first of all, God, we know you're powerful enough to do anything. And then more about God's descriptions. Thou shewest loving kindness or chesed unto thousands and recompenses the iniquity of the fathers and who listen to their children. Um, but but you're great in counsel, and you you helped us come out of Egypt. He talks about that again, so this whole emphasis on Egypt. Um, and uh, anyway, he's he's praying and asking the Lord for help, and and also saying, "You've told me to buy a field for money and take witnesses for the cities given under the hand of the Chaldeans." But the idea of his buying this field is that we'll be able to return, and that's what he's praying for: is that that will happen. So the answer comes in verse 26. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Obviously, no. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give the city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And uh, he's going to talk about all the bad things that are going to happen for a while because of their wickedness and, and how bad things, that, that tough things are coming. But now let's go um, to uh, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and my fury and in my great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. You see, this is the promise again. Though I, yes, I am going to have to scatter you. I'm going to have to humble you. But when you return to me, I'll bring you back, and we're in the covenant-keeping business again. Now listen to these next verses. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them, 
and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And then he, he goes on to talk about that a little bit, but that's 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 just so beautiful and so powerful. I hope that you're you're noticing that one of the major messages of Isaiah, and especially in this section, but it's kind of the crux, kind of where things change. Uh, ah, there's not really a change; they're going to be destroyed. But it's it's the central point. It's what it's really all about. Uh, this is the one, the part where we get these these promises of hope, because however bad it is when the covenant is being broken and God has to humble. Israel and Israelite individuals. He promises he won't stop. He won't give up. He will have chesed on us and he will bring us back and give us all the blessings of the covenant and restore that covenant everlastingly so. And it will change us. We'll be one together in the covenant and our heart will be changed when we let the covenant be in our heart. And when we love God with all our heart and love each other so that then we really keep the covenant, then we can have all the blessings of the covenant and he will be our God and we will be his people and he will exalt us for that. I or to that. I look forward and for that, I pray and testify that it will happen for those who will keep the covenant in their heart and, and come unto Christ, come unto the father through Christ. And I do all those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>